any way that I was going to preach last week. Uh, we didn't get to it for reasons that uh, most of you are aware of. And I want to get through it tonight, but I want to go quickly because I just, uh, just at the very tail end of the last song, just had a strong uh, leading to pray for the sick tonight. This is not a healing message. Uh, it's just something that uh, kind of hit me. Uh, you know, well, why didn't we just do it at the end of the song service? I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's not like the Holy Spirit says, "Do it now," because I got someplace else to go. You know, he's uh, and and uh, I guess maybe the, the advantage of doing it on the front end would have been if you're here fighting something, if you'd received your manifestation instantly, then uh, you might enjoy the service more. But stick with this anyway. There's, like I said, this is not a healing message, but there is something in here about righteousness and transformation that will, uh, if if you are fighting pain or sickness in your body, that will make it easier for you to receive. All right? So open your Bible first to Psalm 143. We're talking about growth and uh, transformation uh, tonight. But I want to start here in Psalm 143, and it's a short psalm. I'm going to read the whole thing. Psalm 143, beginning in verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. This is a psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness, do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have, been, who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. I want to point out a couple things about this psalm before I get into the meat of the message. And one of them is, if you start there in verse 3... you know, well, actually, go back up to, to verse 2 where it says, Do not enter into, into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. He's saying, Lord, I really need you to hear my prayer. Give ear to my supplications. I need you to hear me. And don't come to listen to me in judgment because I don't stand a chance. He's not. This isn't Psalm 51. He's not confessing some particular sin like when he was writing Psalm 51 after he'd been confronted by Nathan about the Bathsheba incident and the Uriah incident. Um, He just knows what he's made of. He knows he's a sinful man because he knows all men are sinful men. He goes, if we're going to, I've got some questions, I've got some needs to bring before you. I need deliverance from my enemies. But if you're going, I know that if you're going to base whether or not you answer my prayer on my righteousness, I'm lost from the beginning. So let's don't do it that way. Don't enter into judgment with me. Hear my supplication. And then goes on to say, uh, he, he lists what's going on. The enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life into the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness. 
Uh, verse 4, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is distressed. And then, he st- and then right in verse 5, I remember the days of old. I wrote the word between verse 4 and verse 5. I wrote the word so, S-O. All these things are wrong. My spirit is overwhelmed. So I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. This is a tough prescription to take for a lot of people. When we are down, what we want, we want immediately immediate relief. If we want something from other people, we want sympathy. We don't necessarily want advice. You know, a lot of people who want counsel, uh, and there's nothing wrong with being a friendly ear or being a shoulder to cry on, but sometimes that's all some people want. They don't want solutions. And, but David knows that if he's going to get out of this mess, what he's going to have to do is remember God's goodness. So rather than focus on the problems that he says are surrounding him, consuming him, overwhelming him, he knows that the first step out of that is to remember to remember, to meditate on the work of God in history and in his life. You're a good God. What's he doing? Stirring himself up by way of reminder of exactly who God is, how God operates, what the goodness of God's plan for him, right? Uh, It's good. It's a very mature response. Uh, And then uh, skip on down to, uh, let me just go through this part quickly. If you skip to verse uh, 11. 11, revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies. He had three opportunities there to say, come on, I'm a good guy. Do this for me because I'm your servant. Do this for me because I'm the king you chose. Do this for me because I'm a man after your own heart. No, do it in your righteousness. Do it in your mercy. Right? For your name's sake. Not because of me, but because of you. This is such, David was such a New Testament guy for being an Old Testament guy. He understood grace. He understood mercy. Uh, And really, prophetically speaking, he understood the cross. I mean, he wrote prophetic psalms about uh, the crucifixion, even if if he didn't know exactly what he was writing. But he understood that the only hope he had was God's mercy, God's goodness. And this is what... It's on this basis that he is making his supplication, his requests, his prayers. You need to understand that righteousness is absolutely a key to getting your prayers answered. The promises of God for provision, for protection, for healing, for direction, for prosperity are for the righteous. And David knows that in God's judgment, there's none righteous. So he appeals to God's righteousness. And you understand, don't you, (laughs) that through the cross of Christ, that's exactly what we have. Our righteousness, the righteousness that we're standing on when we claim healing, when we claim promises that God has made, is not our righteousness. We can never go to him and say, And I know we don't say it consciously. We need to make sure we're not doing it even unconsciously. I've been good. I have this coming. Everything, no matter how well we are acting this out, everything we get from God, we get because of what Jesus did. It's all in Christ that the yes and the amen and the fulfillment is found. We agree with that, right? We know that. 
It's a done deal. We cannot add with our righteous deeds. We cannot add to the righteousness that is ours just because we are in him. It is a done deal. You know, Jesus did not die and rise from the dead just to help us, to give us a boost or a leg up. He paid for it all with his blood, with his death, with his resurrection. We don't contribute anything. We don't contribute one atom of righteousness in this bargain. It's all his. But he does give us a new life. And so our lives, because they are new, this new life, which is a gift, ought to eventually look a lot different from our old life. If the difference between Christian and non-Christian is the difference between life and death, you know, you've heard me say it, you've heard others say it, I didn't invent this, I heard it from Ravi, I'm not sure he's the one who invented it, that Christ did not come to make bad men good, he came to make dead men live. So there really is a difference, spiritually speaking, we are alive, and those without Christ are dead. Living people ought to look different than dead people, right? And if his spirit indwells us, which it does, we have to believe that change is possible. Our behaviors, our appetites uh, can change and should change where they need to change. And the Bible, very uh, an awful lot of the, of the epistles, which we're getting into with Romans, uh, this is where we see a lot of this stuff, where the things that need to be changed are listed repeatedly. These are things that dead people do. These are things that sinners do. These things should not be the things that you do. He doesn't just say be good. doesn't just say be better. He says, here's a verse is long. I'm going to read some to you here in just a second. In fact, let's just do that now. In Romans chapter 1, Romans 1, that's where we are on Sundays, right? On Sunday. Romans 1, 28 it's getting to, and this is a super, super important passage, but we, are, we were in this, this very part of Romans a few Wednesdays ago. It says, even as, a, yeah, 128, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. I was actually going over these verses with the Rangers a couple Sundays ago, and we got that word maliciousness. You know what that, What's maliciousness? You know what it is? It's, it's just mean. You know, some people, they're not criminals, but they're just mean. Christians shouldn't be mean. They should be nice. <laughs> right? So anyway, uh, and I love pointing out to children, including mine, that right in there in the middle of, of uh, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, murder, and all this stuff is disobedient to parents. Yes, verse 31, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, this is Paul describing the world, the very world that Jesus came into. He's describing the behavior of people without Christ. Okay? Now, unfortunately, and Paul deals with this later in Romans, let alone so many of his other letters, 
these are, there are some of these characteristics uh, that Christians practice. Some Christians practice them habitually, and it's a concern. But listen to me closely. It is a bigger concern. I am not as concerned. I'm concerned. Listen, if, if, if there is a besetting sin in your life, it is a concern, all right? But I am much more concerned with somebody who is not concerned. You know what I'm saying? A besetting concern, or a besetting sin is a concern, but a, a besetting sin that the sinner is unconcerned about is a bigger concern. All right? It's a lot of concern and unconcerned in there. I hope you could sort it out. I'll, I might listen to this message and see if I said it right. There, there needs to be a change. There, there are behaviors that, and again, you know, you can pick and choose and go through the, well, I'm not this, I'm not this, well, I'm kind of that, I'm a little bit that, I'm a little bit more that, and hey, uh, two out of 15 ain't bad. Except that Paul says those who practice such things are worthy of death. Which is why Jesus had to die to pay for it. It, it all makes sense, right? Uh, one of the more famous... Uh, hmm. Let's see if I got this right before I ask you to turn to it. It doesn't sound right. Well, look at this in Romans 8, chapter 5. I'm sorry, Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, this is what uh, Brother Hagen would call growing up spiritually. Now, there's a, there's a little bit of disagreement uh, among ministers, even faith ministers, about what exactly that means. Uh, and some, I won't say who, because I'm not going to say. It, 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 at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's right about this. It's, it almost boils down to a semantic argument. But I don't believe that when you are born again, when God makes you alive, when you are saved, when you become a believer, I don't believe you receive a baby spirit. I believe you receive the spirit of God. But you are still a baby Christian. And it's not because your spirit needs to grow up. It's because you need to learn to walk according to that spirit. This verse tells us, right? Let's read it again. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You have to understand that the natural inclination of our flesh is to carnality. It's to sin. That's what sin appeals to. The the temptation doesn't work on our spirit. It works on our flesh, our appetites, our desires. That's what it makes its appeal to. God how does he work? He works on the inward man. He appeals to your spirit. All right? Now, does that mean we can never sense him with our senses? Many of you, uh, we, we have been in services where there is what we would call a tangible presence. But that's not customarily or scripturally or uh, as a rule the way God appeals to us. Okay? He speaks to our spirit. Now, we are either going to walk after the flesh or we're going to walk after the Spirit. And what, according to this verse and according to the whole Council of Scripture, the difference is 
what you do with your mind. If you set your mind on spiritual things, that's training yourself, flesh and all, to walk after the Spirit. But if what you're thinking about, meditating on, we wouldn't call it meditating, but whatever it is you set your mind on, uh, if it's fleshly stuff, if it's carnal stuff, worldly stuff, it doesn't have to be, uh, strictly speaking, demonic. It doesn't have to be Satan worship. Satan doesn't care at the end of the day whether you are kneeling before him and uh, sacrificing kittens or babies or anything like that. He just wants to make sure you are worshiping anything except Jesus Christ. We set our minds on these things, and we are going to walk after the flesh. All right? When Now, so the growing up, that, that's a good, even though I don't think it's our spirit that's growing from a baby to a spiritual man, we are growing up spiritually in the sense that we are growing in grace, learning to walk after the Spirit. Now, some things, especially in the early days, a lot of change happens quickly, easily, almost on its own. And there's a great analogy with babies, human babies, you know, or, you know, just, or, or animals for that matter, but babies, you don't have to... There's things that they learn to do. There's growth that takes place even though they're, they're, they're not making any conscious, conscious decisions, right? You feed them, you let them sleep, you keep them warm, and what happens? They grow. They grow. Their, their bones get more solid, their bones get bigger, their muscles get bigger, their balance improves, uh, and, and within a, a relatively short time, they are learning to try things. They, they begin to make a conscious effort, all right? It's an illustration I've used a, a dozen times probably, but uh, there's something so perfect and lovely and exciting about a newborn baby. There's nothing wrong with this baby, except if that baby is exactly the same three years later, there's something very wrong, right? We expect to see change. We expect to see development. And then as we get older, physically older and spiritually older, the change that, that takes place, we begin to look at things and say, I want to be like this. Uh, when you begin to exercise, what motivates you to exercise? There are a couple things. There are a few things. Uh, we want to feel better, right? And we want to look better. I mean, those are, those are two things. I mean, I want to be healthy, right? I want to be healthy, and I want to look healthy. I, uh, you know, it's worth it to me to begin to diet and exercise just to... It'll, it'll expand my wardrobe significantly. All right? I've sworn I'm not going to buy any new clothes because I've got some great clothes that I just haven't been able to wear in a while. But I'm going to. I'm going to get back into those. But it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, there's a motive whether it's turned into genuine motivation yet, I can't, I can't say, but we're, I'm trying. But there are things I know what needs to be done. If I want to make a physical change, I need to eat less junk, I need to eat less, period, and I need to exercise more. And I know, scientifically speaking, that if I really do those things, don't kid myself, don't deceive myself, don't cheat too much, there will be a transformation, and I'm aiming for a specific transformation. It's not just I want to change. I want to change into a smaller version of me, all right? What about if you, uh, what motivated you if you know how to play a musical instrument? What motivated you to do that? 
I'm asking a different question now. Number one, I mean, if you want to play piano, if you want to play guitar, what have you got to do? First of all, I will always believe, and I know most of you believe this too, there has to be at least a core of natural talent or supernatural talent, a gift, okay? I mean, you can, anybody, I think this is, this is a kind of a side journey like we have time for tonight, but I think it's worth, everybody ought to try something. Learn to play a little bit of guitar, a little bit of piano, a little bit of some kind of horn or something. Just because if you learn just a little bit, your, imp- your appreciation for those who do it well will skyrocket, all right? But, you know, if you're going to learn, to, if you're going to be a virtuoso, if you're going to be good at something, what are you going to have to do? Practice. Do it again and again and again and again. And, if, and it, it can be a little bit of a, uh, and you, got, you kind of got to enjoy it or you won't stick with it. Um, but you see yourself improving. But what motivates you to do that? Why go through the, because man, you got to, some instruments, you got to do it for years before you're any good, before your music will bring you or anybody else pleasure. So what's your motivation? Usually it's because you saw somebody else who was good at it and you thought, I want to be able to do that. Sports, athletics, people do, they develop, some people are just, they gravitate toward these things and, uh. Uh, they, they have this, uh, this competitive uh, drive that, that was somehow always missing from my genetic makeup. You know, there were things I enjoyed. You know, I haven't, I haven't picked on you in a while, Brian, so I'll, just, I'll, I'll mention you again. Brian and I grew up together because our dads grew up together, and we played sports. And Brian's two years younger than me, and he was always ten times better at everything than I was. He was faster. He was, he was more skilled. You know, he played all these skill positions. Uh, but he had a passion for these things. You know, we'd be out there playing basketball in the driveway, and he's just smoking me. You know, I've got a, a, probably a foot of height on him back then, and uh, he's just he's tearing it up. And I said, well, I, I was feeling kind of poopy. You, I don't know if you remember this conversation. It was just in passing. I said, I said, well, you know, you love basketball, and, and I don't. And you're like, it's my least favorite sport. You know, shut up. You know, it's like, <laughs> just because I'm great at it doesn't mean I love it. So there's some natural talent there. But he loved sports, period. He loved competition and all this. But you get good at it. For, but, but he wasn't born good at it. He was born better at it than I was. But he was good at it because he did it. He did it because he loved it. Thing is, there are some things that are worth doing, like dieting, that I'm never going to love. Got to do it anyway if I'm going to see the result I want. Now, the same thing. So we look at, we ought to be able... And we are, I know. We see people here at church. We see speakers. Now you can see any speaker you want uh, on the internet, television, different meetings. Or, it's, and it's better yet if you just know somebody. I met somebody who inspired me. When I'm around this person, I want to be a better Christian. I want to be like them. And I love that. Well, we wouldn't show, shouldn't want to be like them. We should want to be like Jesus. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That was, that's a pretty bold thing to say. But he's also acknowledging, hey, it's all right. You, you, can have, you can have Christian role models besides Jesus. You know, kind of a stepping stone, right? Uh, but we see somebody that makes us want to be a, a better Christian. We can't just sit there and say, oh, Lord, make me like them. Because God tells us what we have to do to be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. There it is. Uh, Romans 12, 2. 
that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed by what? By praying? By waiting for your spirit to grow up? No, by renewing your mind, setting your mind on things above. In Colossians 3, 2, it says that set your, th- set your mind on things above. All right? Now, so we want to grow, we want to develop, uh, and we do. there are some specific things. So what are they? What are some things that we can do spiritually that are going to pay off, that are going to cause us to grow up, meaning cause us to walk more consistently after the Spirit rather than after the flesh. And you know the answers as well as I do. And we're talking about diet and exercise. What's our, what's our spiritual diet? It's the Word of God. It's the Bible. It's sermons. And it's meditation on the Word of God. Think, set your mind on these things. Read Scripture Memorize scripture, think about scripture. We started doing, we started a, a devotional last night at our, at, at our table. Um, we are, we're reading a chapter out of Brother, Brother Hagen's book, uh, The Believer's Authority. I haven't read it in years, and so we're reading it as a family. But then we've got this little scripture memorization flip book, and they memorize uh, one, the kids do, we do too, but uh, it's mostly for the kids. They memorize one scripture per New Testament book. And so they, they, and you can do like three a week, but we, we just, it's one verse at a time. And so last night it was a, a, a virgin shall bring forth a child and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save their people from their sins. And so we'll learn this verse from Matthew and, they'll, and then we'll learn a verse from, what's next? Mark. And then, and so on. They'll, they'll, they'll learn a verse from each book. But then there's questions afterward. And it says, tell us, what do you think these words mean? Why is it important uh, that uh, save, sin, what do these mean? So, so it's like, man, there's a lot. You're reading through these questions. There's a lot packed into this verse that you didn't even think about. So it's a nice little devotional, uh, but it's kind of funny. It asks these questions. Some of them you just circle. Some of them's got short answer. And then the last one, I guess, and I haven't flipped through it enough. Maybe it's the last question on every verse. How will you live your life differently as a result of this verse? And uh, I had gotten up at this point, and I'm, and I'm uh, washing some dishes or putting some stuff in the sink. And I hear Riley say, Rainy. Do you think you're going to get away with that? So what are you talking about? Riley said, it asks here, how are you going to live your life differently as a result of this verse? And Rainey wrote, better. <laughs> how are you going to live your life differently? Better, yeah. That's, and, that, and that's Rainey. It's a, it's a short answer. How can it be wrong? I'm going to be better as a result of this verse, right? Yeah. Nothing like specifics, right? So anyway, you've got our spiritual diet of the Word of God, sermons, meditations, etc. And uh, spiritual exercise. What's that? Well, praise and worship. That's a spiritual exercise. It's, you know, it's also diet, too. I'm kind of nourished during praise and worship. It's not just something I'm giving God. It's something God's given me. Uh, but also prayer. Prayer is spiritual exercise. Preaching. Remember, we live the gospel and preach the gospel at Living Word Family Church. Sharing the gospel is, yours, is part of every believer's spiritual service. But every faith adventure you're on is spiritual exercise. When you are battling uh, anything, any sort of affliction, the things that David was writing in this psalm was a spiritual exercise. He's not just thinking these things. He's speaking them. He's writing them. He's making them clear. You know, thinking about your problems and thinking about God at the same time is not praying. Sitting there wishing God would do something about your problems is not praying, and it's certainly not praying in faith. 
Spiritual exercise is finding what the Word of God says about your problem and speaking the Word of God to your problem and thanking God for the Word and the promise that He's given you. But there's also this, because now this, and this is where I'm, where I'm really getting ready to wrap this up. In fact, praise and worship team, you can be slowly making your way up here. Because when we get back to Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32, when Paul's listing these things, and he lists them in Colossians, and he lists them in Galatians, these are the deeds of the flesh. These are the things that, that, that is causing the wrath of God is coming, is falling on the uh, children of the world, children of the flesh, because of these things. These things are worthy of death. And we list these things. Do we ever see any of these things in our lives, even after 10 years, 20 years of walking with Christ? I do. I do. I haven't murdered anybody in a long time, but I do see envy. I do see maliciousness. There are a number of things that I encounter. What does this mean? Does it mean I have stopped growing or that I have not grown? Does it mean I have failed? Is there anything in the Bible that helps me deal with that? Yes, there is. And this is part of it. When we're talking about transformation, when, and going back to what I said about being unconcerned, even if there is a besetting sin, confess it. You know, we make a big deal about the word repentance meaning more than an apology. It's a turning. But you know what? It's an apology too. You ought to... <laughs> When you encounter sin in your life, besetting, and I talk about besetting sin, I'm talking about something that has a grip on you, something you can't stop, or something that has really continued to cost you and weigh you down. But even if it's an incidental sin, it ought to bother us enough in the moment to at least offer an apology. When you catch yourself saying something you shouldn't have said, thinking something you shouldn't have thought, do you at least say, God, I'm sorry about that. God, I'm sorry about that. And does that mean anything to God? I absolutely believe it does. We're made in his image. We're, we're meant to feel and experience some things. And it sure makes a difference to me when somebody says something offensive, when, if they immediately apologize, man, I accept that. So repent and confess. These should be part of the, uh, the, yeah, the daily rhythms of Christianity. When we, when we encounter things that, that are contrary to what the Word of God prescribes for us and says we should be like, then we should repent, we should confess. And does it make a difference? You better believe it does. First John 1, 9. Most of you know it by heart. Let's just read it anyway. First John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. That's very, very encouraging. Look, I'm writing these things, just as Paul wrote his things, Peter wrote his things. So I want you to know these things so that you don't sin. But if you do, you've got a good lawyer, Jesus Christ. Because he himself has already paid the price. The sacrifice that he made was sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins. What does that mean? Stand up with me. It means that if you are a believer, even if you sinned today, even if you sinned, even if you were thinking bad thoughts about your pastor in this sermon, you are forgiven. And because you are in Christ, it's not just God saying, I forgive you. You are righteous in him. You are righteous in him. He doesn't see you as a dirty sinner who messed up again. 
He sees you in Christ. And because you are in Christ, you are entitled to every promise he made the righteous. Now, very quickly, I want to do this. If you've never made the decision to give your life to Christ, to recognize the price he paid to buy you out of sin, I want you to do that now. As soon as we start singing, come up here and just tell me, I need to be saved and I will pray with you. But I'm looking around. I think everybody in here has made that decision. Uh, but now I want to pray. But I want to pray for the sick. And just because I'm assuming that, you know, don't be embarrassed. Come say, Scott, you might have thought I was a Christian. I'm not, but I want to be. All right, I want to pray for you. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. We'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org.